0: children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church. And for those who remain in person and on the live stream, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3 as we continue our look at this uh, quite famous, if not infamous, chapter of Scripture. Philippians chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 2 through 11. This is God's Word. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray that God would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we need your help. Show us what you would have us know. Send your spirit to make your word powerful and effective in our hearts and in our lives, that we with Paul may be found in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do you think is your biggest hindrance to your spiritual growth? For some of you, you might be thinking of a particular thing you are doing that you know you probably shouldn't be doing. These sins, these failings, these shortcomings that have their claws in you and you found it very difficult to shake. Others of you might be thinking of all of those things that you're not doing, knowing that your languishing prayer life, and your failure to, to seek the Lord in His Word, and your lack of a hunger and thirst for righteousness is hindering your spiritual growth. And as serious as these things are, and as much as these things can be hindrances to our spiritual growth, can even be the biggest hindrances. And they're not... The complete story. I like to go to new restaurants and old restaurants and eat food and experience new things. But I also have a habit when I go to a restaurant and, and when I find something that's just amazing, that every time I go, I order the same thing. Now, some of you, you would, you would never do this thing, but I, I just, I'm a creature of habit and I like what I like, and I know what I know, and I will go to these same places, and I will eat the same things, and I'll be content with that, and yet there is this part of me that longs to try new things. And the biggest hindrance for me experiencing incredible new foods is me pursuing the things that I like the most. What if I told you That one of your biggest hindrances to spiritual growth isn't the things that you do, isn't the things that you don't do, as serious as those are. What if I told you that one of the biggest spiritual problems you face, the thing that hinders you in your walk with Christ the most, is the thing about yourself you like the most? See, when the gospel is announced, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, it comes announcing forgiveness of sins. It addresses all of those things that we have done, that we do, that that bring us shame and guilt before God. It it calls us to walk in newness of life. It shows us the path that Jesus would have us walk. And, And it tears down all of the barriers that would keep us from those things sending us even the very Spirit of God to work in us and through us to follow after Christ. And one of the things that keeps us from believing these things is that we cling to the old things about ourselves that we like. The gospel comes announcing forgiveness, announcing newness of life, and it turns all of those things upside down and empties them out. And says, there is nothing greater than the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as your Lord. And if anything else, no matter how wonderful, creeps in, it will keep you from knowing the glory of Christ. So we're going to look at that this morning as Paul dives in to that theme in this passage. And we're going to consider How the gospel reverses everything that we think it, it turns it all upside down and shows us something new. It shows us that we have no reason to put confidence in the flesh. We're also going to look at what I've dubbed perhaps poorly gospel rubbish, that the gospel takes what we think little of and lifts it up, and takes all the things we think greatly of and casts them down as rubbish. There is, in the gospel, no thing that can possibly compare to Christ. And we're going to look lastly at gospel righteousness. So we see that in Christ, there is no end to blessing. Gospel reversal, gospel rubbish, gospel righteousness. Let's dive in and take a look at these things. I want you to focus with me here on verses 2 and 3 to see how the gospel reverses everything that we think ought to be this way or that way. The gospel comes in and says, no. It's something completely different. Paul here warns the Philippians to be on the lookout for the dogs, for the evildoers, for those who mutilate the flesh. Watch out. And he's not talking about three different categories of people. He's talking about this one group of teachers that uh, historians and theologians have called the Judaizers, who have been teaching that The way to know Christ and the way to be reconciled to God, the way to become a Christian, is to become a Jew first. Until you are circumcised, until you uh, observe the, the food laws and the Sabbath regulations, your access to Christ is blocked. But once you take those things on, you are by faith united to Christ and saved. And Paul looks at that and says, watch out. These teachers who have put so much confidence in their status, in their ethnic and religious markers, they've put so much confidence in the flesh, it will be their undoing. The gospel, though, turns all that on its head. Implicitly, we know this. Like sometimes, in, in some ways, certain markers and certain forms of status gain us access to all sorts of things. And in the Old Testament, the Sabbath regulations and the food laws, the, the rite of circumcision, the sacrificial system, all of those things were hugely important. But they had a time and a place. My American citizenship, I would revoke for no reason. But there are places in this world I could visit where pulling out my American passport might gain me access to all kinds of honors, but if I were to try to get into North Korea or maybe go visit Russia or China, it might incur suspicion if I'm able to get access at all. So those markers that the Old Testament provided to the people of God were foreshadowing were types and signs of what God would do for his people in the coming Messiah, But after the coming of the Messiah, those signs and those markers are liabilities before God. This is what Paul is doing. He is setting up this huge reversal. He says, "Look out for the dogs." Now he's not insulting the Judaizers in some deeply inappropriate way. The, the Jewish people, the Israelites, referred to anyone not a part of the covenant community of Israel, not a part of God's chosen kingdom. They called them the dogs. All of the Gentiles were dogs. It was not a happy term. It wasn't a helpful term. It wasn't even maybe a, a nice term, but it wasn't crass and completely insulting especially not the way Paul is using it here. He's saying those who are relying on these signs and markers to refer to themselves as the chosen people, they themselves are actually the dogs. They are on the outside, not in.
1: But we put no confidence in the flesh.
0: He says, watch out for the evildoers. These Judaizers who were teaching this brand of morality. Like, look, observe the Sabbath. Keep these food regulations. Do these good and moral things that God talks about in the Old Testament scriptures, lest you be judged. But Paul says, no, those are the evildoers. We are the ones who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Watch out for those who cling to this sign of circumcision as, as earning some sort of special favor or place before God. They are actually just mutilators of the flesh. We are the true circumcision, the real circumcision. These Judaizers were trying to teach that in order to access Christ, you had to have all of these signs, all of these markers, follow all of these rules. And Paul says they're on the outside. They are evildoers. They are mutilators of the flesh. Because any time you trust in Christ plus anything else, you're not really trusting in Christ at all. If the only way For Christ to save you is for you to do and observe a bunch of things Christ hasn't saved you. He's just helped you along. And so Paul condemns in the most stark terms these teachers that are running around and saying, in order for you to be right with God, you need this special status You need these special markers. You need to observe these special rituals or your worship is not going to be heard. Your place before God is not going to be guaranteed. And Paul says, that is a lie. We trust in Christ alone. And all of those who think that by mere morality, or ethnicity, or religious ritual that they can gain access to God, the gospel comes in and turns all of that upside down and says it is only, ever, always through Christ. And the reason Paul has to step in and address the Philippian Christians so starkly on this matter, to call them to watch out in the most uh, stark of terms Is because this is a constant temptation for God's people and has always been and will be the side of glory for us to put our trust in Jesus and a bunch of other things. What are the things that have snuck in to your way of thinking and living and worshiping that makes you? believe however suddenly that you are more acceptable to God because of them?
1: Is it your doctrinal knowledge? Is it your activities and service?
0: Is it the way you feel when you read the scriptures or pray or gather for worship or hear a worship song or sing along with it? Is it your traditions that you find comfort in?
1: As wondrous as
0: tradition can be, as good as Christian service is, as important as doctrine that is sound and true might be, these things earn you nothing before God. And when you think they do, they become a liability and not an asset. What Paul is trying to teach the Philippians, what he's trying to teach us, and every believer who has read these words, is that the gospel gives us. Every reason to trust in Christ alone, and no reason to have confidence in the flesh at all. But it's not just this religious status that Paul wants to address. He also, in verses 4 through 8, wants to talk about the, the power going on and off. Um, He doesn't want to talk about that. I don't know what that's all about, but if you can still hear me, that's great. If we lost the live stream, we lost the live stream. So be it. Um, He wants to address in verses 4 through 8 that it's not just these markers or badges that become liabilities to us, even our own efforts, our own goodness, our own works Become liabilities before us, for us before God, because there is nothing. There's nothing that we can do. There's nowhere that we can go. There's nothing that we can be that can possibly compare to Christ. He talks about this by listing all of his bona fides, if you will. We get a little bit of Paul's resume. He calls himself a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. To, to, to make the, the case, like you Judaizers, you guys think you have it all together because you're descended from this guy and you've been doing these things and you've never touched any unclean food and you've always... You, you think that you have it all together. But whatever it is you have, whatever it is you think you've done well, whatever status you possess that you think is important before God, I have more. Man, how bold is that? Like, as good as you think you are, I'm better. And, and Paul's not being arrogant here. It's just true. He is He is born an Israelite, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And what he means by that is it's not just his birthright. He's not just a Hebrew. He, he, he lives it out. It's not just that he was born with this great status. He is, by training, a Pharisee, the most religious and moral people of his day. And he devoted his life to persecute the church, this religious sect that had arisen that was not falling in line with traditional Judaism. And even before the law, he's blameless. And we know from elsewhere, Paul's not talking about that he had no sin. He's he's honest about that elsewhere. What he's talking about is there is not a single person in the world that could come and accuse him that he has disobeyed some law. He is, by all standards of men, Pharisees, before the law, by every external measure, blameless.
1: Come at me. I've got it all. And yet, he says, all of this
0: is rubbish. It's all rubbish. It is a loss. It's not just that these things are like sort of helpful. They, they actually become a deficit to his ability to grow in Christ. And so he has counted them a loss. This Word rubbish, some of your translations rightly translate it dung. That is how stark Paul is being here. There's an association in some literature with this word as as being the the rubbish thrown to the dogs. We, Christmas time, like to go get a prime rib, smoke it on the smoker, roast it in the oven. Nothing better. So good. If, if the dog gets any of it, it's only if he gets the bone. It's only after I've already gotten all the good stuff off of there. Like, I am not wasting something I've spent hours on to just throw it outside for the dog to run off and bury. All of these good works, all of these wondrous markers, all of these righteous deeds, all of this religious service that Paul has devoted himself to, it is rubbish. It's worth being thrown to the dogs because the only thing of value to him
1: is knowing Christ. This ought to
0: make us uncomfortable. This is really hard. Not complicated. It's not complicated. But it's really hard to trust in nothing else before God but Christ. Because we we like to say, well, yes, but I'm... I also, like, I've done good. Isn't God pleased with my efforts? Isn't God uh, happy that I'm in church or, or that I'm in a Bible study or that i am grown in these things? And, and certainly he is, but those don't gain you any merit before him. They don't raise you up in his sights anymore. Don't earn you forgiveness or special consideration. We find ourselves in trouble and we make promises. Oh God, if, if you would just help me with this, I'll, I promise I will do this or I won't do that, and thinking that, that we can tip the scales just a little bit. It's so easy and so subtle. But when you trust in anything other than Christ alone before God, it's not just that trusting in Christ and trusting in something else is not trusting Christ. That's true. But when you add anything to Christ, what you are actually doing is despising Christ you are looking at his surpassing worth and saying it's not enough. And it's hard to count everything a loss. Paul tells us this here. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things.
1: It's not easy
0: to find the pride and the arrogance and the self-sufficiency and the self-righteousness in our souls put to death in order that we would cling to Jesus alone as our only
1: hope. Maybe there are things you cling to that tempt you to
0: despise Jesus too. Maybe you fear this loss and what it means. Certainly Paul was ostracized in many communities, stoned, persecuted, slandered, Maybe if, if you only trusted in Christ, you wonder, what, what would I lose? What would I have to cast aside? Maybe you enjoy the comfort of being able to cling to something that you have, that, that you know, that you've done. And not to have to step out in faith and cling only to Christ. And so we make our New Year's resolutions to do better
1: this time, we promise. But the gospel calls all of that extra stuff rubbish.
0: And so there's no place for you to stand before God with anything other than Christ. And there's no place for you to look in condemnation on your brother and sister for anything if they are in Christ. It changes everything. And when we believe this about Jesus, what we find is that in him there is no end to blessing. We're going to look at verses 9, 10, and 11 in a little bit more detail next week. But what Paul is talking about here is this doctrine of union with Christ. Saying that in, because of what God has done for us in Christ, that through the, the meager instrument of faith, God unites us to Jesus. He connects us to Jesus, not just intellectually, where we understand and assent that Jesus was real and this is what he did. Not just emotionally. Oh, we love Jesus. He was so kind to us and so gracious to us. He unites us to Christ spiritually so deeply. That it can be said, even as we read in Romans 6, that when Jesus died, we who are connected to him by faith, we also died. That when Jesus rose again from the dead, we who are connected to him through faith also rose from the dead to newness of life. That when Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, we also are seated with him in the heavenly places. We are so connected to him that the only status that we need before God is Jesus' status as the beloved, only begotten Son of God. That the only works that we need before God are the works of Christ, the perfect Messiah, guilty of no sin, who lived in perfect righteousness. Everything that we could possibly need to help us grow Closer to God is found in Jesus. And when we are connected to him, when we are united to him, the blessings that we can experience from that flow without end. You cannot delve the depths. It would be like trying to empty the oceans into all the little vessels in your house, every Tupperware container, every pitcher, let's empty the ocean out. You, you could not do it. You could not come close. And Paul tells us some of what these blessings are. These benefits from being united to Christ are our justification. This is what Paul is referring to when he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not the things that I've done, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. This doctrine of justification, it's, it's an act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all our sins and accepts us as a righteous in His sight, not because of any righteous works done on our part, but only because of the righteousness of Christ given to us, imputed to us, credited to us. And we receive that righteousness through faith alone. God declares his people to be righteous. He justifies them. And if God has justified you, who can condemn? What will Satan say to crush you underfoot if Jesus Christ, the King of glory, has said, you are righteous in my sight? The benefits flow. And it's not just our justification. It's also our sanctification where Paul says that I would be found in him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him, even in his death. This union that we have with Christ is is the... that one of the benefits that flows from that is that God is at work in us, molding us and shaping us to be more and more like Jesus. This is a work of God's grace, where He brings the very power of the resurrection to bear on our lives that we might walk not in the old ways, but walk in newness of life, following after Him on the path that He has called us to walk, even if it is a path filled with suffering and death. Because it's the path that Jesus walked. And He'll use it to mold us and shape us in His likeness, in His image, more and more and more, even to that day where He will raise us from the dead. That doctrine of glorification, that work of God's free grace, that act of God's free grace where he purifies us fully and finally from all sin and brings us to himself to live forever. The reason it is so important for our spiritual growth to trust in Christ alone is because only Christ can do these things. Only Christ can justify. Only Christ can sanctify, can glorify. If you depend on your works, if you depend on your knowledge, if you depend on your merit, if you depend on your wisdom, your feelings, your joy, your sense, if you depend on anything else other than Christ to grow you in these things, you will be sorely disappointed. And you will find time and time and time again, it's like that resolution you made and you got three weeks into January and it's already cast aside as ineffective. You can't do it. But Jesus Christ can. So what if your biggest hindrance to your growth in Christ is your failure to see how desperately you need Jesus. What if the biggest hindrance in your spiritual walk is that you're squinting, you're not seeing, you're, you're, you're diverting your attention away from the utter and complete glory and surpassing worth of Christ Jesus. what do you really have in this life? What certainty do you have? I don't know that the live stream is canceled because of the power outage, but I'm guessing it probably is. Oh no, it's still on. Great. It's back. I don't know. I got no power over the power lines. I don't know when my day is coming. I don't know what trials and tribulations are going to befall me this afternoon or tomorrow or in the days to come. What can the world really offer you? I mean, What if you won the lottery? Would you end up as sad and as miserable as all the other people who've always won the lottery? Here, in Christ, is the surpassing worth of a king, of a God who so loves his people, he came to seek and save them on his own, requiring nothing else, no help from any person. He did it himself. He did it for you. What would it look like for your walk with Christ to see that clearly and to know the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, your Lord? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us to see this more and more clearly. It is difficult for us sometimes. The lies of the world and of the flesh and of the devil, they creep in very suddenly. They make us think, ah, if I do this, then God will respond. If I say things this way, then he'll answer my prayers. If I just had this, then... He would love me and set His favor upon me. Lord, help us to see that in Christ we are reconciled to God. and certainly there is a way in which He calls us to walk. There are works that He has already prepared in advance for us to do. There is a path of discipleship to Christ, that we have the privilege of walking because we are already adopted in Christ, into the very household of God. Help us to see this, to see Christ for all he is, that we may entrust ourselves to him and no other. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.